This week on episode 524 of Priority One, New York Comic Con is ready to trek out, the community rallies behind Wilson Cruz, Star Trek Online updates its minimum system requirements, mobile games cross to desktop, and we review Lower Decks where pleasant fountains lie. Not before we chat with Cryptic Studios content creator Ryan and environment artist Gianna. You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 524 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, September 21st, and available for download or streaming on Friday, September 24th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. And I'm Kat. And unfortunately, we don't have a Roscoe this week. He has fallen ill with Andorian shingles. That's plausible. It could be. It could be, especially down in Australia. It could. You never know. <laughs> could have been carried off by giant spiders. <laughs> that too. That too. Well, feel better, Roscoe. Indeed, feel better. Now, Captains, before we jump into the news, we do want to welcome new listeners to the show and hope that you'll stay in touch. You see, the show is produced by a community of volunteers who donate their time and talents because, like you, they're passionate about what Star Trek is all about. So we hope you'll get involved and be a part of our community. Follow us on social media so you can share your thoughts about the weekly headlines join the armada so that you can experience star trek gaming with like-minded trekkies or consider joining the team and lending your skills and passion to producing this show now as i mentioned just a moment ago we are a community driven podcast none of us here get paid for the work that we do the reason that this show continues to be produced is because of patrons listeners like you who find value in the production that we do and want to support it to make sure that we can continue to do it each and every week so if you're interested and want to learn more about how you can support priority one visit us over at patreon.com forward slash priority one links will be in our show notes and are of course all over our website on patreon we offer some unique perks that try to help incentivize your contributions so check us out there at patreon.com forward slash priority one now let's find out what's been happening in the star trek multiverse I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Captain's convention season is now in full swing, and the next big event is New York Comic Con. Starting October 7th and ending October 10th, this four-day event usually has stuff for everyone. Unique to this year's presentation is the hybrid participation. Not only are they lessening the total number of attendees, but you can also purchase a virtual ticket that will give you access to some of the panels right from the comfort of your own home. But what's so special about New York Comic Con? Well, as of right now, Paramount Plus is slated to present at least two official panels. On Saturday, October 9th at 12.45 p.m., the cast and producers of Star Trek Discovery take the Empire stage. Then on Sunday, October 10th, Star Trek Prodigy will premiere its first episode along with a panel. But... 
that's not all, because we want you to join the Roddenberry Podcast Network as we present a panel titled Star Trek's Guide to Community. I'll be there along with Sue and Kennedy of Women at Warp, and that's happening Saturday, October 9th at 2.15 p.m. There's also other Star Trek-related things happening, like a Hallmark presentation with new Trek ornaments, a virtual-only panel with the folks behind the new Star Trek magazine, and even Bill Shatner will be there on Thursday, October 7th. That sounds super fun. Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm hesitant, you know, because even though I'm vaccinated, people. you can still <laughs> catch, yeah, and, you know, people. But these last couple of years, I've pretty much only gone for the Trek-related things, uh, and this year seems a little thin on Trek. There's not very much going on other than that, other than the two panels. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are having that hesitancy, you know, about traveling, you know, there's a lot of undecisiveness out there. I mean, I wanted to come and I looked at tickets and then I just thought about traveling and don't even want to do that. So I, I think I'm probably not alone. And, you know, the virtual thing does sound interesting, though. So they're, you know, I kind of want to see Prodigy. Yeah, you see, the thing about it is it's not, it's not very clear what or how much or how many of the panels will be available by purchasing the virtual ticket. I hope, fingers crossed, that something like the Prodigy panel will be uh, able to be accessed from home. Uh, the Those tickets are $20 for the whole weekend. Even if you don't get to watch the Prodigy premiere, you'll still be able to catch uh, several other panels, uh, not just the Trek ones. So it might be worth I, it. Yeah, it's 20 bucks. I mean, that's cheaper than a movie <laughs> that's being released. Now, if you will be at New York Comic Con, if you're listening to the show and will be at New York Comic Con, please, we encourage you to reach out to us. Let us know that you're going. Hit us up on Twitter or Facebook or email us at incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. I'd love to try to meet up and, you know, grab a drink or whatever and hang out and chill. So so be sure to let us know whether or not you'll be there. When it comes to communities, even Star Treks can be incredibly divisive. The majority of the time, it's about New Trek versus Old Trek, who the better first officer is or which ship is cooler. However, there are times when things can get dark and people start to show their true colors. Like one fan who was offered the privilege of attending Star Trek Day in person. Long story short, at one point during the event, while Wilson Cruz was on stage, someone in the audience yelled out a homophobic slur. According to reports, no one did anything about it. The guest was not removed, nor have they been identified as of yet. With incredible grace and patience, Wilson continued on and later took to Twitter to address the matter. Although he may not have wanted to draw so much attention to the matter, we want to take a moment to remind you, our listeners, that tolerance for the bigoted has its limits. When you see something, say something. Learn ways how to be the best ally you can for people who are marginalized on a daily basis. If you're on social media and someone goes on a hate-filled rant, step up. It's the inaction of those with the means to stand up to injustices that empower those who want to watch the world burn. You know, I realize that, you know, Wilson Cruz seems to want, seems to feel a little regretful about, you know, his original tweet. He didn't want to bring so much attention to the matter. And I really thought hard about whether or not to cover this. But the truth of the matter is, is that Wilson Cruz is in a, in a position to be able to stand up for himself and those around him, right? He's a successful actor. He's had uh, several successful shows that he's been a part of and projects. So he can kind of pick and choose the fights that he wants to engage with, right? But others, not so much, right? And so those of us who may not have that kind of power or clout oftentimes are fearful of standing up for ourselves, for themselves, for whomever it is who's marginalized uh, and and felt to feel less than. And it was good to see the Star Trek community on Twitter, you know, offer their support and, you know, try to find out who it was and, you know, try to remedy the situation in some way. But, you know, at this point, you know, what's done, it's done. Something should have happened in the moment, right? There were reports that the person that was sitting next to the offender got up and, and walked out. Or You see, in moments like this, when it happens, we cannot allow it to just get brushed under the, under the table. We have to take action in the moment. So, like Kat said, when you see something, when you hear something, stand up and say something, right? Stand up and defend the person who may feel threatened and unable to defend themselves in the situation. It was good on the Star Trek community to rally in this way against that kind of bigotry and hatred. Well, it's just kind of mortifying to be, to think like you're at this, you know, celebrating Star Trek. It's 55 years of Star Trek and what Star Trek means. And all day, the whole event was about, you know, how progressive Star Trek was and, and you know, IDIC. Come on, people, that's what it is. And for someone to do that on that day to Wilson Cruz, who's a national treasure, by the way, I mean, ugh, don't do that. 
stupid. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I you know, I, re- I I do hope that they find that person and that, you know, at so- in some way, shape, or form are held accountable to their actions. Again, I think it would have been better had action been taken in the moment, right? You know, not a scene. Nobody had to make a scene, but that person should have been ejected. And those kind of thoughts and opinions have no place in, in the Star Trek mythos, right? It's just, it. they don't, I don't understand how some people think that they can coincide. It's It just doesn't make any sense right it's it's yeah well i just yeah the 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 audacity for one thing to do that at an event like that and um you know just un it just it just speaks to society today and how polarized we are that that someone would think that that was okay but again you know the message here the core message is from us to you is if you're on twitter if you're on facebook if you're out and about on mass transit on your way to work and something like that happens don't just take out your phone and record don't just read the tweets don't just be a bystander try to get engaged in in a safe way that doesn't put you in danger that doesn't escalate the situation or put the person being attacked in even more risk but just be prepared to stand up we are at a point now where we just need to stand up against this kind of intolerance but in some lighter news on monday we were treated to the big uniform reveal by general jay raymond chief of space operations for space force who tweeted quote every winning team needs a uniform I'm excited to share the new look with you today, end quote. And to no one's surprise, the Twitterverse immediately noticed some striking similarities to some other uniforms that we are quite familiar with. They were described by one person as, quote, a blend of the Star Trek Enterprise dress uniform, but with the Mirror Universe diagonal, end quote. Josh Weinstein, a veteran writer for The Simpsons and Futurama, said the uniform reminded him of the ridiculously tight outfits worn by Zap Brannigan on Futurama. While Movies in Focus hopped on the satirical bandwagon with the image of an Imperial Star Destroyer officer from the original Star Wars trilogy. Quote, these new Space Force uniforms are looking great. End quote, jokes the caption. One might wonder if there's any possible legal challenges that can be made to prevent Space Force from co-opting all of our favorite sci-fi cosplay ideas. Good thing we have an IP lawyer to ask. Huh? So you called? Yes. Uh, yeah, this is this is interesting. Well, interesting to me. You guys are probably all bored by some legal discussions. However, brief overview of U.S. trademark law is that the first person who uses the thing gets the you know priority in registering your trademark. So if you can prove that you've been using Space Force <laughs> uh, like uniforms for much longer. than than they have been, uh, you the trademark office usually doesn't allow you to get a trademark if uh, someone else has been doing it before you. So that's a little bit of a challenge for Space Force since, you know, we already had that Netflix series and they already applied for a trademark and they actually got several trademarks across. Uh, I think they got one in Mexico and the UK, maybe some other places. So yeah, Space Force has already got some issues with trying to, if they were going 
to file any um, trademarks for that. And I thought they had applied for one, but they didn't actually claim they were using the mark yet. So to be protected, you have to use the mark and then use it before someone else. There's some other rules around trademark law, but I would highly doubt that uh, Space Force would be able to do that. And they keep stealing like the good ideas. If anything, you know, maybe Battlestar Galactica or the designers of the Star Trek uniforms could sue Space Force <laughs> for stealing their looks. Yeah, I did get a very Battlestar Adama kind of feel. I to did it, too. Yeah. It looked very Adama, but I like the diagonal mirror universe look. It's just kind of ominous, actually, for Space Force. Maybe don't do that, Space Force. Damn it, we're on the wrong timeline. Damn it! <laughs> well, you know, we could have changed to that parallel world according to that Bernstein Bears theory. Right. Well, now here are a few headlines that we didn't discuss but might interest you. Links, of course, will be in our show notes. Ruben Klammer, the designer of the original Starfleet phaser rifle on the original series, passed away at the age of 99, according to the Toy Association. Klammer also designed props for other shows, including a gun for the hit 1960s series The Man from Uncle. But I think he was most famous for creating uh the board game Life. That's right. Which yeah, he uh Was it Life or sold... was it Oh, yeah, the game of game Life. life. Yeah. Mhm. Love that game. Used to play it all the time. You know, what's fascinating in the article is that uh, they share a video of him talking about designing the rifle and how he had less than 3 weeks to put it together. Now, anybody who, you know, dabbles in cosplay or makes their own weapons for cosplay knows that that's an incredible Incredible feat, and imagine doing something like that in the 1960s, right? You know, where where materials aren't as easily accessible as ordering them online from Amazon. So that was a that was a fascinating story to see how you know he was pulled in after doing uh, Man from Uncle to design this sci-fi futuristic rifle for Star Trek. Now this is the this is the like the the, the rifle with the coils in, that look like it has a coil inside, and then you know the nozzle has a little satellite dish. It's the, the, we're talking about that one. Yeah, that one. I mean. It's very, it's the one you think of with a phaser rifle, you know, the iconic one. Yeah, so he lived, you know, he lived to 99, so hopefully he had a wonderful life and, a, you know, clearly contributed to a lot of great, great IPs. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to trek out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Welcome aboard, Captain. High score. To everything, there is a season. And in Cryptic's opinion, the season for Windows 7 is long past. Starting February 15th, 2022, anyone still using the 10-year-old operating system, seriously, not even Microsoft supports it anymore, won't be able to patch or log into Star Trek Online and Neverwinter. Only Windows 8 and Windows 10 machines, with the superior 64-bit intellect, will have a home on the final frontier. DirectX 10 support is also getting ejected like a spent warp core on February. February 15th, with both games requiring feature level 11 or higher. That means your computer needs to have one of the following video card chipsets to play. An NVIDIA GeForce GTX 400 or newer, an ATI AMD Radeon HD 5000 or newer, an Intel HD Graphics 4000 or newer. Given all the fun and excitement of buying graphics cards these days, if your current card isn't up to the task, well, Godspeed, because it's impossible. 
I know firsthand because I needed to build a new rig this year and I camped outside of a micro center overnight in the spring of 2021 only to be sorely disappointed and didn't get anything. I camped overnight, still didn't get anything. Ah, oh, that's a bummer. I looked on the micro center website and I still didn't get one. <laughs> yeah, it is. The, the chip shortage isn't incredible. But here's the thing is, you know, if, if you're still running a 10 year old machine, I think it's time that you, you know, reach out to a system integrator uh, like Dell or whomever and, and get yourself a new machine. Mine's not quite 10 years old, but oh man, I really do want a new machine. I just can't get one anywhere. Main Gear. I They do not endorse this show, but I did get a custom machine from Main Gear with all the bells and whistles, and I'm very pleased with, with the computer. Well, it is on my list of things to buy when I get my tax refund. <laughs> the Aqueduct, the Magnetic Compass, the Ox to Bat. All of these simple technologies have withstood the test of time. But the last may be the most miraculous. Needing only three technician doffs and one boff ability at minimum, Ox to Bat is easy to assemble, trivial to fly, and still keeps your bridge officers ready for whatever space wizardry you demand of them. Sure, it hasn't been the meta in a Salat's age, but you know what? Ox to Bat does the job. It does it pretty well, and that's pretty much all we ask until now. Ever drop a gravity well and you notice your Tykin's Rift is now off limits for 15 seconds, that's the shared category cooldown kicking in, forcing you to pace yourself rather than let everything rip at once. When Cryptic first released the Boimler effect trait, it provided a 2.5% chance of resetting every bridge officer ability to its shared category cooldown whenever you used a non-specialist boff ability. Great in theory, but 1 in 40 odds just aren't worth a 200 lobby investment. So Cryptic did a little tweaking like you do, and made it 17.5% proc chance instead. As Stowe streamer Augmented Dictator declared on Twitter, quote, Boimler effect is now as good as Ox to Bat for cooldown reduction, end quote. Bold words to be sure, but there's also a fairly convincing clip of him keeping eight of his escorts' 12 boff abilities concurrently running like an overambitious plate spinner. Trek out the tweet in our show notes, scrape together that lobby, and give your boffs more buffer time than they can handle. All right, so let's break this down a little bit for our friends who may not be entirely familiar with what the heck we're talking about. In Star Trek Online, every power has a cooldown, right? You launch something, you launch an attack, something, it starts counting down a little clock on the power, letting you know how long before you can use it again. For the last uh, 10 years, something like that, uh, mm -hmm. there was a way to reduce that cooldown. Right, and that was what was called the aux to bat build, auxiliary to battery build. And what it would do is certain duty officers that you slotted in your space slots for the duty officers would help reduce that cooldown, right? That meant that of the five or six duty officer slots that you have, at least two, but technically it should have been three, were taken up by a duty officer known as, that had the technician, technician duty officers. This was great. This was a, uh, you know, an, uh, a very good way to be able to cycle through those powers very quickly. However, now with this new space trait called the Boimler effect that came out uh, last week, you can free up those duty officer slots now, right? And just have this Boimler effect trait added to your space paper doll and get similar, if not identical, not well, similar, just, we'll say similar effects on it. Uh, I tested it as well. I went into the uh, exchange and bought 
put the Boimler effect on from the exchange. It was expensive, but I think it was like 80 million. Um, you can also buy it for 200 lobby. And I got very similar results. I barely noticed a difference between what I was running before with an ox to bat build versus now the Boimler effect. And remember, you can, you know, do the captain upgrade and get yourself an extra space slot. So if you have the Boimler effect, that's, that's one to put in there. And that frees up those three slots in your duty officers to, you know, add something else, something, you know, I, I'm still trying to figure out what best to add. I'm thinking maybe something that, you know, supports shields or, you know, rapid hole increases. But I, yeah, I'm not quite sure what to add in those duty officers. I mean, slots. there's a lot of, yeah, there's so many options now, especially you might look into those, uh, into the Borg bridge off or duty officers that you can get. They're pretty expensive too, but yeah, some of are. them are pretty handy. How, other than the exchange, how can I get the, the Borg duty officers? Uh, lockbox. They're in the, lock the Borg. Yeah. Lockbox. The Picard one, I believe. No, the Borg one. Whatever. One that came out recently with Borg duty officers. Right. Yeah, no, it's this hard is to keep those things straight. <laughs> I like this. I like that. You know, they they they. I don't know if they were conscious to the concept of the Ox to bat and trying to find a new way to you know allow players to cool down. It could be. Know. I mean, it's a dated build. I mean, it's been dated, meaning it's been. I'm not saying it's not effective. It's just been around a long time. Uh, but this is the first time they've had uh, traits in the lobby store. So mm. if you're gonna pay. I mean, me as a purchaser, uh, if you're going to pay that much lobby or pay 80 million on the exchange too for that rate, it better do something real cool because that's a lot of in-game currency. Yeah, I'll be real heated if they nerf that ability, right? After yeah, having I mean, after having upped it, right, to 17%. Yeah. I'm sorry, 17.5. I mean, I feel like that was the adjustment was to, they were trying it out just to make sure it didn't break stuff, but um, they definitely adjusted it upwards. So it is, you know, if you've been experimenting with builds, that is definitely something to trek out. Now, mind you, I am not, you know, I'm not necessarily a DPS chaser by any stretch of the means. I don't PvP, but I like to be able to, you you know, play the missions on advanced and feel a little challenged. So mm -hmm. I have followed and read up on best methods to get the most out of my ship. There's a lot of great resources out there. Of course, scour the Reddit. Uh, there's a DPS league that has a website that will then send you to Stow Academy, which allows you to have a wonderful interface to play around with and slot in your abilities and figure out, you know, the best layout for your ship. So there are resources. If you're if you're into Star Trek Online, getting into it, there are resources to help help you get the most out of your ship. But just be careful about going down that rabbit hole because you can go down you pretty know, deep real fast. If there only was like a group of people like that had some type of like fleet or something. That I know. You could ask questions Gee, to. <laughs> who, who could we, who could people turn <sighs> to? I know. It's not like Priority One doesn't have us in-game armada with oh, KDF and Fed Fleets. Oh, and snap. People are on there all the time. You can ask us questions directly. You know, I mean, I'm on fairly regularly. There not you that go. I'm an expert on builds, but I can, you know, at least point you in the right direction to some nice resources. There you go. PriorityOneArmada.com to join and uh, be a part of our great community of gamers. One of Trek Cosplay's hallmarks is is its hair-splitting fidelity to what's seen on screen, even when the creators themselves don't quite pull it off. 
Combine that tendency with Stowe's promise of personal immersion, immersion, and it's no no surprise that some players want their captain's threads to look correct. To help make that a little easier, Cryptic released an official in-game color guide for both the newly available Lower Deck Starfleet jacket and their original Kitimer uniform creation. However, rapturous Space Barbie enthusiasts should make sure that they're using the second release Kitimer guide, as the first one had (gasps) incorrect pant color codes. The audacity of them. I love how... I mean, get it right. (laughs) Are you still salty that they don't have the pants for the Lower Deck? Yes! I am. I mean, I get that you can get an equivalent pants, like the basic pants in the in in the tailor. But I mean, come on, you're paying Loby for a uniform. I want pants and a top <laughs> too. I mean, why is that so wrong? Well, moving on to other gaming news. If you were a fan of the Star Trek Adventures web series Shield of Tomorrow or Clear Skies, you're already familiar with the dangers and wonders of the Shackleton Expanse. If you weren't, then be prepared for deadly spatial phenomena, ancient alien technologies, first contact with new species, and lots of boldly going. It's all there in Modifius Entertainment's newest Star Trek Adventures source book, The Shackleton Expanse Campaign Guide. The new source book is available for pre-order at $60 now and is expected to ship in December 2021. This is your tabletop gaming crew's chance to follow in the warp trails of the USS Sally Ride and the USS Ross. Adventure into nearly uncharted regions of space beyond Federation Klingon and Romulan borders. The new material includes five new player alien species for Star Trek Adventures, including Orions. It also includes non-playable characters from Starbase 364 and Around the Expanse as well as stats for hero and NPC vessels. This sourcebook does require a copy of the Star Trek Adventures core rulebook, which is provided in PDF form with your order. Maybe 2000 feels like a long time ago to you. Maybe it doesn't. Either way, the Star Trek Armada and Armada 2 RTS games that came out then still hold a place in certain PC players' hearts. So much, in fact, the Stellar Parallax modding group has finally released what Activision would not, Star Trek Armada 3. Starting as a one-person passion project back in 2012, Armada 3 is a full conversion mod for 2012 Sins of a Solar Empire Rebellion. Stellar Parallax's devoted faithful can now command the Federation, Klingons, Romulans, Borg, or Cardassian Union at the beginning of the Dominion War. But really, how much demand is there for a 9-year-old game mod following up on a 20-year-old series? After its September 10th release, Armada 3 is the 51st most popular mod on the ModDB site out of over 46,000 entries across hundreds of games. So we'd say a lot. Now here are another couple of headlines that we're not going to discuss in full detail, but we thought you might find interesting. A few weeks back, we mentioned that the mobile game Star Trek Fleet Command was beta testing a desktop client for Windows. Well, they're out of beta, and now it's available for download with special perks being offered when you log in via desktop. The card game maker WizKids announced a new pack titled Star Trek Missions, According to their announcement, quote, Your goal is to assemble the highest scoring combos possible by drawing cards from the Galaxy deck, the Mission deck, or the Discard area, end quote. It'll be available February 2022, but you can pre-order now. Remember, Captains, to learn more about these gaming headlines, be sure to review the show notes for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com. That's the news from Trek Games this week. Now we welcome Star Trek Online's content creator, Ryan, and environment artist, Gianna.
Brianna to talk about the most recent mission updates in the game. Security clearance level 3 or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha 1 Alpha. Logs accessed. Captains, on this episode of Priority One, we are pleased to have Gianna and Ryan of Cryptic Studios, who have worked tirelessly on some of the amazing new content and revamps that we've seen come to Star Trek Online this last couple of weeks. Uh, Gianna, Ryan, thank you so much for being here with us today on this episode. Uh, as always, it's a pleasure. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. Now, Gianna, this is the first time you've been on our show. Why don't we give our listeners a bit of an introduction? For starters, tell us a little bit about your role and how you got involved with Cryptic. Yeah, so I am currently an environment artist on Star Trek Online. I joined Cryptic at the beginning of this year, so technically it's been almost 10 months since I've been here. Oh, 10 months, 10 months. No, that's awesome. Now, do you have a background in game development? Is this your first gig? This is actually my first job. I do have a college degree, actually, in game development. Nice, nice. Awesome, awesome. And do you want to plug your, your alma mater there? or? Uh, <laughs> yes, right? I went to, if you want, I went to Savannah College of Art and Design, SCAD. Oh, nice. Excellent, excellent. So you've been at Cryptic Studios for 10 months now. Why don't we talk a little bit about the work that you've done in those 10 months and, you know, what what have players seen of your work? Yeah, so recently, a lot of what I've worked on just got released. We have reflections. I've worked on a bit on Firewall. I worked on Operation Wolf, the new TFO. I did the TOS revamp for the new recruitment event. And then before that, there was just like small things like here and there that I worked on, like revamping the Azure Nebula and the Vault that they came out a while ago in the summer. And I helped out maybe like with the proper two on the episodes more. Nice. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you again for being here with us on this episode. Uh, Ryan, always a pleasure having you. It's always a ball having you. You're, you're such a talented artist and have done some phenomenal work on, on Star Trek Online. So it's always a pleasure having you here. I love being here, especially if you're going to stroke my ego like that. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't we first talk about the changes that players might have noticed with the new Temporal Agents. So for me, the last time that I dabbled with the Temporal Agent, I want to say was 2016, right? When the first Temporal Agent event came out. And I didn't even get a chance to finish setting up the Temporal Agent. I didn't get the, the Tesseract, I like to call it. But I don't remember feeling the way I felt playing it this time around, which was, holy crap, they have really captured TOS. From the environment to the music to the dialogue, it was just spot on. Let's talk a little bit about the process by which you go analyzing an old mission and then updating it five years later. So um, amusingly enough, I was hired right before, you know, that the, the TOS expansion. So those were some of my first missions with the company. And th there are a lot of, I think, design axioms that we were following then that have changed since. So, so while we were playing through it, we were trying to figure out, okay, what do we not do anymore? And how do we make it better? So like, for example, even though you're more or less locked into the same set of bridge officers for the entire, you know, five episodes, they, they stop being voiced after the first episode that you meet them. We usually do that. We, like, we don't voice our, our bridge officers usually because there's just so much of a chance that players will have random different bridge officers on their team. But 
that's not likely going to happen with a, a fresh TOS character. So why not just let them be voiced the whole time? That adds so much more because now you feel like you're you're not missing things and they feel more alive and part of your crew. And you know, we look for for places where you know, the the lighting wasn't great, where the maybe the mission tracker wasn't telling you really what to do. Maybe the mission tracker was the only thing telling you what to do. So we want to make sure that there were either various contacts telling you, hey, this is what we're actually doing in the in the mission right now. Just in case you you were wondering why you're you're looking in this room or or in this area. Like we just want we wanted to make sure that it read well so that a person who loves TOS and comes to to Star Trek online to play a TOS game feels like they're having a TOS experience and they're not getting lost because of it. Right, right. So setting up the the ambiance, right, of, of making it even more TOS, right? It was there a moment looking at the older missions like was there something that you remember in the process of oh that's got to go is there something specific you can think of i mean so we had already removed that filter that we had back when we first uh, launched the the tos experience and we definitely saw that there were maybe graphical issues that were hidden by the filter that just were not bueno so those definitely had to get fixed straight off but overall, I mean, I, I tried to keep all five of the missions feeling more or less the same as they did originally. It, it was just like, I, I guess, our, like, for example, one of the biggest one of the biggest changes was on Edrin 4, the Shadow Cestus mission. There's that one rock that falls down and you have to climb up it. And when we were even when we were just doing our first playthrough of it, so, like we, we kind of just decided, oh, may, like maybe because of how sharp it is, we're supposed to go up the hill and jump down. And of course, that's actually not possible. Like this just doesn't read well. So we completely changed how the rock falls so that it would actually be a lot more intuitive how you get right, up there. Right, right. Yeah, I did notice that difference with that mission. I don't remember the mission being as streamlined as it was this time around. Um, like not that much, like we, we didn't change too much in the mission right. itself. I think I cut out a few steps when you're just like staring at the canyon from on top right. of the cliff because the, like the camera pan didn't really add much to the, to the moment. But like overall, the, that, that mission stayed pretty intact. Now the opening mission, right? Or rather the ground mission when you're on the planet and you, you know, that there's the starship, the old class starship, you know, on, on the ground. Mm -hmm. Gianna, did you work on that environment? For the starship? Yes. So let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, you know, about putting a, a broken up, up starship on a, on a ground map. What challenges did you face? Is it, you know, is it just a matter of grabbing, you know, an asset from the ship team and just, you know, throwing it in? Or did you have to build that from scratch? I believe majority of that mission was actually fixed up a little bit before I touched it, actually, by Scott. It was mostly, actually, that map was the one I least touched because they mm -hmm. had fixed up a little bit beforehand. It was mostly just, you know, some lighting changes and stuff and removing that filter as well that was causing a lot of fuzziness. And so of the, of the five missions, which environments did you involve yourself with most? I did touch all the other ones after that. It was just that first mission had okay. the most refinement before I went to it. Okay, okay. Was there anything injected into those missions that you wish players picked up on that, you know, like a, maybe an Easter egg or something that you guys dropped in there that nobody's nobody's called out on social media? I think majority of it was like I had when I was looking at what was there and seeing what we were going to improve on or adjust. It was mostly some of them because they're, you know, missions based off episodes. I went back and watched the episodes and made sure like, you know, things would line up, things were in the right places similar to how they were placed in the episode. So those are fun Easter eggs to see if you know 
the episode well to see how those all line up. Did you find that when you rewatched those old episodes that from the original missions that you guys had produced that things were far off? Like, you know, oh, well, that's not right. Let me fix that from the screenshot. There were some things like uh, there was the one mission it was just Return to Babel where there's that hallway where I guess in such when Kirk is down, you have the hallway was slightly off a bit. So I had to go in and readjust that to like fit the colors and whatnot of what they were in the episode. So I remember like pausing it like every increment to try to see what was behind Kirk. Have you had the opportunity of visiting Ticonderoga and checking out the, the sets in, in person? I have not, but that I, I I would love to do that. That's that sounds like an expense that you can put on Cryptic's dime. <laughs> Take a trip to Ticonderoga. It's a good idea. <laughs> So now, Kat, you two have, you know, obviously played the uh, the TFOs and, and whatnot. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, the the new mission, right? The new thing to, to get players back into the game. What were what considerations did you keep in mind when producing this new mission? Again, you know, something I like to ask is, you know, this is a 10 year old game, right? So, you know, what is it that you're doing and thinking about to keep players engaged who have been playing for 10 years? And also, what challenges does that bring? Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, so obviously one of the things that we wanted to make sure we brought in was, you know, the characters that, that our players have grown to love over the years. You know, like bringing in Lita was a no-brainer. Bringing back Kumarke was a, a no-brainer. They're just people who who have resonated well with, with our player base, so why wouldn't we want them back in our game? But, you know, with the first episode of any kind of new arc, we're always thinking about how it sets up everything that's coming after it. And obviously, you know, not to tell you what's coming up after it because that's that's how things work like we already have you know have a whole bunch of the story planned out we need to make sure that that first episode is setting the stage for all of it you know by the end of the first episode you know that there's going to be a pretty hefty mirror arc you're talking you're talking about the end of the first episode of reflections yeah Okay. Yeah, like a, a, like when you're when you're done with Firewall, you know we are entering a mirror arc. Like it's it's not a one-off mission that uh, you know is is kind of a throwaway fluff piece or something. Like you know that there's a a big story to come after it, and hopefully you know we've gotten our players excited for what what comes next. It struck me though when I first started Firewall when I was first playing it like that opening scene is so cinematic and so expansive like I was just struck immediately like you know I wasn't sure about this mirror universe type storyline but then I'm like opening scene I was like never mind this is gonna be amazing (laughs) (laughs) because I mean just the way it opens you're like oh whoa what's happening this is what i I need to know what's gonna happen here yeah i I will definitely say you know scott boyd and 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 weston pierce they're both very talented when it comes to setting up our cinematics in our game and you know ever since the two of them have been kind of heading up all of our cutscenes, i think our game has has definitely uh improved from it oh yeah yeah absolutely i mean it just adds it adds that icing to the cake i mean really it just is it's fantastic so with firewall right I think it's, you know, by the time this airs, you know, I think we'll we'll be okay with those spoilers. You know, I found that there was a nice balance, right? A great balance between what you were expected to do on the ground and what you were expected to do in space. And I remember actually somebody in our chat was talking about how they struggled a little bit with the space combat, that it was almost a little bit too much for them. And I'm like, me? That's not, it wasn't too much. It was, it was just, an, it was just right. It was like a really nice Goldilocks zone. And again, with Firewall, by the way, nice touch naming the Exocomp. 
That was funny. That was good. <laughs> nice touch on the exo. <laughs> that that was All actually right. a contribution from uh, Jesse, and and I I love it. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> I loved it. They're named on the TFO as well, which is fun. And also, again, you know, the mechanic, the, the you know, that one point in the mission where you work with the exocom to to you know regain the data. You know, it didn't feel cumbersome. It didn't feel like I was being pulled out. It was a nice balance of okay, I got to fight the people around me and then also engage in in the mission itself. So working with Weston and Scott, is it Scott you said? You know, with yep. with the cinematics, how does that work? Right in the process of creating a mission, what is the storyboard like? Where you go, okay, this part is going to be player interaction. This part it's going to be a cinematic or is it that you create the mission and then scott and weston go in and fill in the gap so usually what will happen is during the the pitching process when setting up the document to make sure all the the leads are ready to green light it i like we will put out like we'll, we'll put in points of like and this is where a cutscene will happen that'll do this so and this is a point where a cutscene will happen that'll do this and sometimes i'll even be like this is a point where no cutscene happens but then during the like when we're having the meetings they say you know what we should probably make that a cutscene and you know there's, there's a negotiation process because scott and weston are are just two people and have to be able to sleep as well so we figure out exactly like kind of as a as a group we will figure out which cutscenes are are necessary which ones can potentially be done in gameplay how much everything's going to cost in man hours and then we kind of agree on what that final set of cutscenes are going to be now environment wise were there subtle changes that players might have missed between mirror and prime i mean yeah there were we made sure to look at everything. And the kit for that episode was made by Nick. I was in charge of setting it up and placing things and whatnot. But there's a lot of differences from, like, you know, the material changes, lighting changes, to, like, even if you take a closer look at, like, the decals that he put in the effort to make. There's a lot in there that you can basically, if you, like, really look into it, you can find. Oh, yeah. I spent a ton of time looking around Mirror ESD I walked around, I even, well, I had got kicked out of the map, but I was walking around <laughs> so long. It was just, it's so cool. Yeah, Mary ESD was me, so I was looking at what Nick was doing with the firewall and converting from the fake to mirror, and then I kind of took inspiration for that and tried to keep it all correlated. Yeah, I was gonna say we we we, we scoured like all of the um, mirror maps uh, for any uh, chevrons to make sure we could replace them with <laughs> you know swords through through the earth. So it's not like rename a file name, right? That's not you have to go in and. Well, to create like a whole new texture kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and while some of it can be done, you know, in bulk, there's also a lot of custom pieces that get made for certain gameplay that if, you know, we, we might forget to check. So that's why we just got it. You know, we have to be as diligent as we can. Right. I got to say that set up at the end with <laughs> my mirror. That's really, that, that was cool. <laughs> that was cool. You know, I think it's okay to say that my, my own personal criticism from like the last couple of the Klingon arc was that I felt a bit removed from the story, right? As player i felt a bit outside looking in but in this mission i feel like i'm back to playing the role right and and then that reveal at the end where i walk onto the bridge or my character does that was i i got chills i was like that that's cool that's that was that was neat that was a nice little touch 
we we definitely were listening to our players when they when because you're not the first person who has said that it felt like it was that we were just kind of NPCs in the Jula and Martok show, right? You know? So right. so we, we we have you know we were listening and we want to make sure that it, it felt very centered around the captain this time around. Yeah, you know it's there was like there's that little part of me that wishes there was a voice to it, but that's impossible, right? You can't really voice a, a you know an avatar person's character because they are head canon, their voice sounds a particular way right right but even like a maniacal laugh i would have been like "Ooh, maniacal laugh (laughs) it was such a oh my god i can't believe that just happened moment and i was just like i gotta play this again yeah 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 so i'm gonna i'm gonna let you in on a little a little uh secret about that i can't believe that just happened moment so we've used kind of the, the technology that we did for this before for example in quarks lucky seven we had to make a copy of the character to show up in in the the tango. So there's that cutscene where where your character walks in, but at this point you're already being like set up to look like one of the other characters in the mission. So we had to create like a copy of the character that 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 does that, and we created a copy of the character that we were able to put into a, a mirror uniform for this. Except normally when we've done this. It's all ground maps, but this time it was at the end of a space map. So when the player walked in, it was actually your ship, not your person, because it was copying what you were wow. at that moment. It was a space map. We had to scramble to fix that because was... that wouldn't have been as exciting of a moment if, if it was, you know, these four guys uh, and, and your ship coming from the turbulent. <laughs> I see, I see. So even though it looks like we're on a bridge and it looks like a ground map, it's technically behind the scenes, behind the hood, under the hood, a space You're, map. Yeah, because because oh. it's the end of that of that of that space map. So yeah, that was a so yeah, that was that was a fun little blooper that we uh, ran into that had to get fixed. But you know, we managed to pull it off, and it looks like the reaction was good. I want somebody to make a GIF of my like starship with googly eyes to just come out in that moment. (laughs) (laughs) Wavy arms. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, with wavy. Do you want it full scale or like no full scale, full scale, like (laughs) as if though like the the nacelles are the legs kind of thing, like something like that. Like you just crashed through the (laughs) turbulence. That too, like the like, Kool Aid uh, guy, like, like the uh, yeah Kool Aid guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, oh yeah, that's interesting. Oh, that's a fascinating. That's a fascinating look into the behind the behind the scenes there. So, all right, what can you tell us anything about part two? Like maybe even you know vaguely when we might be able to continue the story, and perhaps how involved will our mirror character be in the mission in the missions ahead? So what I can tell you is, it is part of the mirror arc. It is coming soon, and your mirror character may or may not be in it. Ah, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the uh, the TFO. Cat, you've played it more than I have. You know, to, why don't we uh, oh, yeah. why don't we dive it's, into those challenges? This is my new favorite thing, the new TFO. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad to hear it. But I mean, it was so well, much fun working on it. I really love ground. I know I'm not the norm because apparently everyone loves space, but I've been asking for a new ground TFO for so long. And so thank you. <laughs> no, I really enjoyed ground TFOs as well. It's nice. kind of weird because everyone's like, I love space so much. I'm like, space is fun too, but yeah. But I know, but your outfit and your weapon and you, I mean, this. Yeah, I, I want to fight with my glowy swords. <laughs> yes, I know. I do too. I want to throw <laughs> knives at people. 
Now, <laughs> you expanded Earth's base dock for this TFO. And so what challenges did that face? How long were you guys working on that? You know, like, you know, we were always able to look into the shuttle bay, but never walk around and then spy on the people in the shuttle. You know, what was where, where did that decision come from to be like, yeah, let's 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 let people walk around the shuttle bay now. I was working on the TFO with John, who is the designer for it, and he was writing for it. And we kind of like started by looking at Earth Space Sock and all the areas of what could be used for playable space and what cannot and what's the like, you know, the best way to be going about it. And in the beginning, there, we weren't even going to go into the shuttle bay. But when we did open that up, we're like, oh, well, we need a way to get down there if we are going to open it up down for that shuttle bay fight when that finally did become an idea. So now that it's open like that, it was talked about like, well, obviously, if you can get down here, people are going to want to do it for HD. And since I had already made the assets, it was so easy just to transfer it over to regular ESD and kind of change the setup and have that open up. And with this new TFO, you know, again, what what was in the back of everyone's mind? Again, creating another replayable mission, right, that allows players to earn rewards. Again, 10 years into the game's development, what kind of tricks did you try to pull out of the rabbit hat? A lot of the, the, it was just like, I remember when the idea was even talked about the, you know, when you fight the shuttlecraft at the end, it was, or the roundabout, it wasn't even like, it, that was like a, an idea that was kind of like a far reach that John and other people did not think was going to happen, but sounded really cool. And so they tried, it was a lot with from what I saw working and going in a bunch of different meetings with different people to try and figure out a way for it to work. And so that was very fun to do, but also there was a lot, you know, to work around to get to, to work. Well, that's exciting. A lot of this new content, you know, players seem to be really enjoying. The story is incredibly engaging. Again, that last moment where you see yourself or the mirror self was just an excellent, excellent touch. Are there new voice actors that maybe we, you know, we should be on paying attention to in the future missions? Probably. <laughs> nice. 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 I mean, we can't we can't tell you anything about that. Oh, right? I know. I know. But I have to ask these questions anyway. I have to ask it so that you guys could be cryptic about it. We're cryptic hey. about everything. Couldn't. <laughs> well, I know we're coming to an end of our interview here. Again, I want to thank you both for being a part of it with us. Is there anything we didn't get a chance to talk about or spotlight that you wanted to come on and kind of share and make sure that players were paying attention to and or looking forward to? I don't know if you heard about a, a bowl of fruit that suddenly became very popular. The uh, the one in the shuttle? Yeah. That Why was, did uh, it become popular? Just because, I, I, I mean... Everyone seems to be noticing it, and yeah, that was one of uh, Gianna's uh, additions to the, <laughs> the map. It's a fun reference. Does it sudden? Does it suddenly age and then <laughs> get back to normal? Maybe you look at it hard, hard enough. I mean, what are the guys arguing about in there? <laughs> <laughs> I just want I want Picard's incredibly long, unbroken sentence to just just be on just be on repeat, kind of like when you're outside Bozeman, Montana, in the bar, right? We can just hear Picard giving that speech. <laughs> Could hear Deanna be like, "So, Diane." <laughs> right, right. That whole scene. Right. That's what. That's what the reference is. Right. Is that? I presume. Yeah. Nice. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Nice touch. Very the nice. idea did come from. It was uh, Nick and Don who actually gave the idea to me, but it will. It's from part of the. Nice. That's an excellent, excellent touch. Excellent touch. Well, Gianna, I want to thank you for being a part of uh, this interview. Welcome to the Priority One history here. Ryan, as always, it's a real pleasure to have you and to talk about the work that you guys put in because I, you know, I, I, I know for sure that there's a lot of love behind the work that you do for the game. And we are eager to see the next set of missions and the next bit of content that you guys produce taking us into a mirror darkly. We, we, we love it because our players love it. 
Well, we've all been so excited for it. And now that it's here, I mean, yeah, I just can't thank you enough because it's amazing. <laughs> all right. Take care, everyone. Thank yeah. you both. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. On screen. Computer. Set Star Trek Lower Decks Season 2, Episode 7, Where Pleasant Fountains Lie. On screen. Mariner and Boimler are stranded on an uninhabited planet with a sentient computer voiced by the one and only Jeffrey Combs. On the Cerritos, Lieutenant Commander Billups gets the call to service the Royal Engines, but will he have to enter space dock at full impulse, wink wink, in order to save the crown? <laughs> Alright, so let's get the statistics out of the way. This episode was written by Garrick Bernard, directed by Jason Zurich, and first premiered on September 23rd, 2020. All right, so let's jump into our review. Kat, what scenes got you most excited? I mean, obviously, come on, friends, help me help you. Like the minute you hear the computer, I'm like, oh, no way. It's Jeffrey Combs. It was fantastic. He's he's an excellent evil computer. Yeah, he he just has a way with words, right? That it's just uniquely Jeffrey Combs. Uh, So identifiable. Absolutely. I've been talking about this every week, but, you know, I love how they advance the characters. You know, I loved the format of the episode again that we're seeing that they're still learning from each other and get to see what the captain's up to. But, you know, the episode focuses on our lower deckers. It's fantastic. Were you a little afraid that Rutherford was going I was. Oh, my God. I I tend to, you know, I feel for her. I was like, no, not Rutherford. No. (laughs) I hope they don't make that a thing because it's going to give me a heart attack. Now, was there anything about the episode that you think could have been done differently? Nothing came to mind. I know I never have anything productive to say on this one. I just, it was a really good, this was one of my favorite episodes so far. All right. And uh, overall review or statement? I gave it a four. And I will point out, finally, Boimler sticking up for himself, getting that confidence we wanted him to have, like, all last season. This is it. This is his big moment. You know, I think I've been able to hone in on where I don't quite enjoy the episodes versus when I do. And this is a perfect episode for that, right? Because it did a very good job at the juxtaposition between the two types of plots that they like to do, right? One of them is a kind of serious mission, right? Like something they have to do that's like a like a typical Trek episode that then injects humor, right? Injects the humor into it and it flows into the mission, into the overall plot versus just going into it full absurdity, right? The whole thing between Commander Billups being royalty and then the ship being run by Dragon's Breath and all that jazz was just so absurd to me that I it, it's like they start really high. They try to start the humor and comedy so high that then it's hard to be funnier almost, right? Um, right. So for me, Lower Deck shines when it takes a serious mission and then injects the humor into it, the way it did with the Boimler and Mariner plot. Or the Tendi and Rutherford 
to that point. I mean, there wasn't like a full storyline between them, but no, but that was end. that got lost for me because of how absurd the whole fantasy dragon thing was happening on the <laughs> ship. The Renfair, yeah, ship. the Renfair <laughs> ship, exactly. You know, there have been a lot of moments where I'm like, ah, oh, that's Rick and Morty. That's Rick and Morty. This one, that plot on the Renfair ship, straight up the dragon episode on Rick and Morty. Okay, so to me, I was that whole Oedipus complex thing, or was his mom just trying to like get him? No, lose his, his mom was just trying. To just to, yeah, no, anyone. Yeah, to anyone. It wasn't. See, it wasn't I, to, her. to me, it came across came ac- as a whole I agree. Oedipus thing, yes. and I was I was a little like, whoa, hey, I thought we were gonna have a Loxana Troy mom, but whoa, she took it a whole different. Yeah, direction. yeah, that 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 was a weird moment, especially when she first you know was talking to him about losing his virginity and whatnot. I'm like, what? Yeah. What's happening here? But that episode of Rick and Morty is very much about you know science versus fantasy, you know, among other things. You know, let's not forget the dragon sex in that episode. But this one, this plot, I mean, it was a, a Star Trek version of that Rick and Morty episode for me. Do you know what I'm talking about with the, the dragons? They all yeah, they all copulate. There's yeah. a dragon orgy. The whole yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so didn't we just see that what? with the Mugatu? Right. So we got the Mugatu. Right. And now again here, the whole thing about him having to lose his virginity, and they're all Renfair, and the the warp core is called you know it's, it runs on dragons fire breath and blah blah blah. <laughs> It was just it 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 hit so absurdly that for me it didn't have any room to grow, right? It didn't really have any direction to go until they, you know, tried to do the pull the wool over our eyes and say that, you know, Rutherford had died. Right. So for me, I think I enjoy the more conventional storylines that are familiar to us and from Star Trek and the serious adaptations of Star Trek that then mm-hmm. inject the humor, right? That the humor comes in naturally and organically in the moment versus starting off you know, with the ground running on having duplers, yeah, and or all that jazz. whatever gimmicky weird. <laughs> so yeah, I kind of agree with you on that. I mean, I still love it because it's still funny, but it's always funnier uh, when you know they are doing something serious and then they're just funny. Now the Monavine—that's the ship. That's the Renfair ship. Uh, how much you want to bet that's going to be next year's summer Risa ship? <gasps> I bet you five. Yes. I bet you five bucks. I bet you. Okay. I bet you five lobby that it's gonna be next year's you summer ship. Trade lobby. Oh, you can't trade lobby. Oh, you can't trade lobby. But I, you can buy me something from the lobby store. All right, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, you can. You can buy me something from the lobby store. All right. Oh my god, that ship is so cool. Absolutely, I would love to see that. I w- I wonder what the I wonder if it's gonna have a secondary deflector and what the console's gonna be. It'll be some kind of <laughs> Renfair elf. elf power. Oh, you know, let's see. Uh... Pixie magic. <laughs> the mirror universe version of that ship is orcs and <laughs> night elves. Oh. But yeah, overall, I really enjoyed the Mariner Boimler plot. You know, and then having Jeffrey Combs injecting himself in the in the situations was hilarious. You got to look closely at the end, right? When when the computer is put in in storage and all the other computers start to light up. One of the computers Mm -hmm. is the CBSI, is the logo for CBSI. Yeah, that was a, that was a, funny little an easter egg but uh yeah overall i'd say this one this episode i almost want to treat it like two episodes right the boimler and mariner plot i'd give like a four and then the fantasy adventure plot i give like a three three yeah three ish all right 
Okay. Uh, but dis- I'm, I'm surprised, though, the, you know, if they're going to give a, a, you know, senior officer backstory that it was Billups. <laughs> right. Is Billups the same one from the episode where Ransom becomes a god? Is that yes. the same character? Yeah. All right. It, I thought so. You see, there, there. I think there's another character on Lower Decks that reminds oh. me a lot of Billups. And if yeah. it is Billups, then I, I'm i not sure how I feel about it. Because Billups, I feel, is like cool, but that other guy is not. But they look the same. They what both got a mustache. Epi- was that episode one? I mean, that was episode two. Stevens. The other character's name is Steve Stevens. Stevens. Yeah, I thought that was the same guy, too. Yeah, Stevens. I thought it was the same He must be guy. on the bridge crew. Uh, on. But they look so yeah, similar that the... I get them confused. And... It's a mustache yeah, thing, yeah, right? Because yeah, yeah. he has a mustache, too. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's where I am with the with that episode all right did his I'm, kingdom I'm come <laughs> that's, that's just so uh, what rutherford, God, rutherford. Rush is <laughs> did his kingdom come <laughs> uh, yeah that was a little adult i love i won't lie that was that like that i, I, that I pushed... love that it was um you know the both guards that was funny <laughs> that wraps up this week's on screen for star trek lower decks And with that, we wrap up episode 524 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. And we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, and Gerald Bush. Now, Captains, it is very important to us that we get to showcase you. So if you want your voice heard on the show, be sure to participate in the conversation by following us on our social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter, where we post things like our community question, or visit our website, leave us a voicemail or a comment on the webpage. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, Thomas, Gray, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Stowe players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. As we said at the start of the show, Captains, this is a community-driven production. We are all volunteers, like in community theater. None of us gets paid for the work that we do. The only way that we can continue to produce this show and be able to afford the software that we use to edit and to host the podcast is by the support of listeners like you. So visit us over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Find out about all the cool perks that we have to offer and consider joining our Patreon family. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesridespodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, Brandon, William, Rand, Alex, and Lennon. Thanks to our producer, Jake, and associate producers, Shane and Thomas. Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our graphic artist, Alejandro, with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to our social media managers, Sarah and James. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. 
Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage. Trek cosplays Hallmarks. <sighs> Dang it. Hallmarks? I know. I Damn. know. I'm like, this you is hard. <laughs> you lean on that bitch. Well, because I was reading ahead to the <laughs> hair splitting and on panda alliteration. It's hard to do. Maybe 2000 feels like a long time ago. A long time ago. Long time ago. I'm going to need some more. I'm so tired. <laughs> Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Pro <laughs> Emmet. Um eh, now let's get to the discussion. All right. Oh my god, someone's at my door. Oh my god. Are you expecting someone? No. If I die, call the police. All right. This is very awkward for me. It's Amazon. Okay. It's Amazon. Good. Jesus. <laughs> Why do they pound on the door late at night? You could have given me a heart attack. I know. It scared the shit out of me. <laughs> I know. I'm like, what is happening? Jeez. That dude, that dude it's like pounded. Amazon or the cops. <laughs> <laughs> is this a shampoo? Is that? <laughs> Jesus. Delivery. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I might need some more wine after all that. Of course, my dogs are scared. They didn't even come in near the door. They're in the other room. <laughs> Uh, okay. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.